Hi there, traffic friends. Welcome again to the Driving You Crazy podcast with me, traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. I'm pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. Jason, when are we going to get a opinion section on our website? Denver 7 is severely lacking columnists. I need people to take a stand on ridiculous things that aren't named Woody Page. <laughs> well, you want to be the Kyle Clark of Denver 7 and, and start going after corporations? Pass. Passing on that one. Ooh, man, he's not going to be making a lot of friends with uh, this whole frontier thing, but maybe he will. I don't know. Uh, anyway, hey, there's two springs on my uh, on my microphone here today. That's that's helping out a whole lot, by the way. It's the little things, baby. It is. I finally finished a story I've been working on for almost two months now, and it, and it really is a good one. Uh, I will tell you all about it a bit later in the broadcast, but let me start with saying that it's all about debunking a ridiculous dumb law that was claimed to be uh, from here, from Denver, and, and in essence, I believe, and I've come to the conclusion, that it's not a law at all, nor has ever been. And you'll hear the ridiculousness coming up. I'll tell you what, every good journalist does work for months at a time, not days. So respect to you for that. I also want to give a quick shout-out to Snopes.com, the fact-checking website that I grew up reading. Uh, they are in some trouble. They're in a legal battle with a former advertiser-slash-vendor. Uh, so they're asking for donations, and you know, it, it's a great website. I think it's a great resource for journalists and just people who like reading lies. That's ma- uh, that's the one place I didn't go during my investigation. There, or maybe I, I guess I could just do a quick search. I think they're going to use your reporting in this story because this is such a widely known thing that we're going to get to yes. later on. So here's a story for you to consider. A study by neurologists at MIT concluded that human beings display their highest range of cognitive capabilities when attempting to retrieve an object accidentally dropped into the narrow space between car seats. As documented in the study, individuals who were faced with the recovery of a lost credit card or tube of chapstick were able to engage their full capacity for logic and critical thinking, most especially in those situations in which they were just barely able to graze the article with their fingertips while understanding that any improper move could only drive the item farther down the gap. Quote, if we could somehow harness the cognitive power on display in such circumstances, there's no telling what the human race could accomplish. Neuroscientists concluded. The remarkable <laughs> neural capacity and capabilities observed in this study only narrowly surpasses those maneuvering a couch up a stairwell, unlocking and opening one's front door while both arms are laden with heavy grocery bags, and attempting to snake the dislodged drawstring on a pair of sweatpants back through the opening. Well, of course, is not a real news story, but one from The Onion, satirical newspaper. I thought it would ring true, though. I... I thought it was real. Especially after I was trying to dig the cap for my water bottle out of that crack between the door and the seat the other day. It kind of squeezed my hand where it kind of gets red and crushed a little bit. But I got it. I always went fishing for French fries and M&Ms that fell between the seats in the car because you can't can't let a soldier die like that. (laughs) And really, the last thing you want is a French fry that's a month old stinking up your car. That is true. Because that leads me to think of all the bad things that you could spill in your car. All right. My wife the other day... She was taking the kids somewhere, and there was nearly a full cup of milk that Jolene had in the back seat, oh. and it spilled. She, so, I don't know. Jolene did something, and it spilled. So the, so the milk spilled all over the seat and, like, on the back. and the, So it was everywhere. The milk was everywhere. And, well, so she calls me in a panic going, I, help me. I've I got to find some place. She was looking for a car wash to, to go help 
help her out. Well, I, I wasn't going to send her to some, you know, do-it-yourself thing, because that wouldn't have helped. No. She needed, like, one of the full-service deals. No. No. I mean, she needs to steam clean those seats. That's going to be awful. Well, and that's what we did. So we, she went down to that place over on Arapahoe Road, just off of I-25, and they did that. So they went in there, and they shampooed this. They sucked it up like they had a shop vac of some sort, and they, so they, they, got, they cleaned it all up. They shampooed these seats, and, and it... It's been a, almost a week, and, and there's no smell. I, that's good, because in my mind, like that is the sort of thing that festers, and like you have to clean it two or three times just to get rid of it. It's like when you still spill an entire 30-pack of beers in the backseat of your car. Uh, that's a little excessive. 30-pack? Well, it's got to be PBRs. They only are the ones I know that come in a 30-pack. Well, That or the Schlitz Malt Liquor Bowl. I mean, they sell Bud Light in 30 Maybe really? not out here they don't sell it in 30 packs, but they definitely do. So when I was when I was helping out my wife, it made me think about some of the worst things you can spill in your car, and I found a story from Thrillist that was titled, The Worst Things You Can Spill in Your Car. H- how convenient for me. So they came up with the top 14 things, starting with number 14, any condiment except for mayonnaise. They said mustard's pretty bad and ketchup is worse, but then there's number 13, mayo. Sure, you were lazy and grabbed a burger on the way home. That mayo you dropped didn't cl- you didn't clean. Won't exactly look like mayo the next time you look at it. That's true. <laughs> Number twelve was coffee. It's well known fact that coffee stains are among the hardest to get out, especially if you've got light colored interior. Who are the crazy people that are still driving around with light colored interiors these days? That's way too much maintenance for my liking. Yes, yes. Uh, Eleven gum. Just hope it's in your floor mat and that you didn't somehow grind it in. Gum and carpet generally only comes out with a pair of scissors. That's true. Mm. But I have those uh, those mats. They actually, when I leased the car, they gave me those uh, plastic mats to go down, so that helps. And now the girls are really into gum. When we go to Sam's, we have to go buy the pack of like 400 pieces of gum, right? Oh, really? The Orbit stuff. Well, anyway, so they're, they're really into eating gum right now. Interesting. Okay. Uh, number 10, broken glass. Can I just stop you right there? That's not number 10. That's number one. (laughs) (laughs) Broken glass is the worst thing to get all over the inside of your car. No, there are things that are worse. Number one is really, really, really gross. Okay. Fire ants? Is fire ants number one? No, fire ants is not on the list, but we could put them as maybe 9 or 10.1. Okay. Uh, Broken glass really sucks for two reasons. First, it it probably wasn't your fault that the side window was smashed in. And second, you'll never get all those tiny little shards out of the seats, carpeting, and even uh, inside the door itself. I mean, this list goes from 0 to 100 real quick. Yeah, it does. Like mustard, mayo, broken glass. (laughs) Come on now. Well, it didn't say like a gunshot, like blood for... (laughs) Well, actually, we do have that later on. All right, chocolate, number nine. If you're lucky, you're only smearing that sweet, sweet goodness on leather, but you have to really work it out to get it out of the crevices there. Okay. And this is my girls also. We were over at the Walmart yesterday buying a present for my uh, cousin for his birthday. And the girls wanted to get a candy, so I got let them get one candy. It was a chug, it was a Kit Kat, and it was warm out. So we were also going out to dinner, and so they left it in the car, and it you know gets all melted, yep. and it gets all squishy. And they wanted to open. I said, no, 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 no. That's like that would be like a volcano of chocolate if they opened up that pack. Did it, what did you wind up doing with the pack after the fact? We no, I left it in the car, and then when we got home, I put it in the refrigerator. Very well done. I'm telling you, frozen Kit Kats that have been melted, exquisite. Number eight, booze. Ever taken a turn too quickly on the way home from the liquor store and heard a clank of like 30-pack, what, breaking in your car? Sound, uh, maybe that sound in the trunk was a couple of bottles colliding. If a bottle broke, the smell of alcohol is there to stay, which will be a fun uh, way to explain, which will be fun to explain the next time you're pulled over. I don't buy glass liquor bottles. 
It's only, only plastic, plastic in my house. That's classy. <laughs> and you only drink canned wine, right? There's nothing wrong with canned wine. No, there really isn't. Okay. Uh, as long all right. as we're on the same page there. Number seven, greasy or gravy-covered foods. Grease helps things work their way into fabric, drastically lowering chances of removal. Drop a gravy-coated fry and you're screwed. Sorry to all our Canadian listeners out there who are trying to eat poutine behind the wheel. <laughs> I saw a guy eating yesterday. And well, no, it was this morning when I was coming in, and there was this guy, and he was and he was drifting over into the lane. He come back, drift over. I thought, well, all right, this guy's hammered, because um, usually that's what happens at three o'clock in the morning. Right. But I looked over, and he has a full bowl of whatever, and he's just spooning it in. I have a lot of respect for anybody who's willing to try to use utensils behind the wheel, and a lot of respect. I mean, don't drive next to me. <laughs> Number six, pungent foods. Uh, this should be higher on the list because you know Thai takeout sure smells great when you open the lid. But you drop it on the floor oh and you get to God. experience that smell over and over, really forever and ever and ever and ever. Lisa Hidalgo told me a story when she was in high school and somehow she had, I don't know how she does it. Because what, this is what happens when she tells me a story. She tells me a story about something that happens and then weeks later she, she tries to rectify the situation. Okay. She said that somehow she dropped a whole shrimp cocktail and it got wedged somewhere in her car that she couldn't get it or she didn't notice or whatever until a few days when it started to smell and then a few more days it was smelling worse and then by day 10 she decided to do something about it. And then she found the smell was so horrible that she was digging into her car wherever she found this this shrimp cocktail to, to eventually clean it up. And she claimed this happened while she was in high school. Yes. No. It probably happened last week. I was going to say. Like, let's be realistic here. Or while she was in Vegas and it was like a rental car and she got one of those 99 <laughs> cent shrimp cocktails from the Golden Nugget and she wound up getting it wedged in the rental car. Oh, no, took it, it back to the took it back to the <laughs> rental car drop off and they were like we're not taking that back until you get that shrimp cocktail out of here. Number 5, milk. It, they say it's a deceptive little bastard. It seems so innocent and easy to clean at first. Then it smells, and that smell sets in as the remainder starts to sour. And that's when you realize you're sitting in a vertical CDC chamber full of bacteria. I'm literally getting sick thinking about that. <laughs> that's repulsive. I am so glad we got that, uh, that shampooed out of the car. Uh, it, when my wife did get the shampooed seats, it really does. It, it actually smells a lot better. Uh, but I thought that I saw a little bit of milk residue on the on the door that they didn't get. Ugh. All right, number four, cigarette ashes. You know, smoking's bad for you, but when you think about it, it's just as bad for your car. It's even worse when you let those ashes and butts build up. You end up with this powdery mess on everything and the stale smell of old nightclubs that will haunt you far longer than the memories of your poor decision-making. I'm only going to share this story because I know I'm not the only one that it's happened to, but there's nothing worse than thinking you're flicking a cigarette butt out the window while you're driving and having it get sucked in through the back window and just land in your back seat, and you can see it smoldering back there and starting to catch your interior on fire, and so you reach back and try to, you're fishtailing all over the road trying to find this lit cigarette that's sitting in the back seat of your car. Don't smoke, guys. I've been clean for 18 months. No. 18 months 18 months there you go very nice uh yeah no that would be horrible and plus don't throw cigarette butts out the window well thank you i right. appreciate it well and you haven't for 18 months all right number three soda it, it's it's pretty bad it is if you don't get it out immediately it'll turn into a thick sludge of well which anything and everything will stick to it make the mistake of leaving an unopened can in your car in either the dead of winter or the middle of summer and you'll experience what it's like to have that gooey zone of hell sprayed all over the interior of your car. Yeesh. 
especially in the winter when they you know they pop out and sometimes sometimes they just explode and other times they really explode. Not to quibble too much with this list, but I would put broken glass ahead of soda. All right, number two. How about tobacco <laughs> spit cup? That's terrible. That is really terrible. Uh, d- that I mean, filling an entire cup with your own dark brown tar laden saliva is disgusting enough. Um, it, it's really disgusting at home. It's disgusting in, in cars and anywhere. And and obviously the inevitable happens. It, you're, it's sitting there, open topped, in a cup, and you, and you're going to be spending the entire week when it spills. Figuring out how to salvage your car. Maybe new carpet is the only way to go. I mean, when you grow up in the country, there's red, everybody's drinking out of red Solo cups. And you're on a Beirut table and your tobacco spit cup is sitting right next to your Bud Light cup. And sometimes people just can't tell the difference. Oh, gross. Isn't it? Tobacco spit, seriously, like is, is one the of the nastiest fluids on the planet. Oh, no. It's, hor- it's horrid. All right, because I knew a lot of guys in Atlanta, like you were saying. The I mean, that was it. It's a staple in the South. It's vile. And yeah, it, it's yeah. It, really horrid is the nicest word I can think about. All right, number one, any bodily fluid. It really should go out saying. I mean, obviously, blood tells people you're a murderer who likely has bodies in the trunk. Urine and vomit, you simply just didn't pull over when you really, 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 really needed to go. And and if you let that happen, let's say some intestinal discomfort of some sort. For the love of God, whatever happens to the rest of your car for the rest of its days, you're, you're probably just going to have to drive it into the ocean and just let it be, if that happens. Yes, to all of those things. So, yeah, that is definitely... See, I think number one and number two are, are really good. Maybe I agree. Maybe we could put broken glass at number three. Yes. Maybe we should reorder these. I agree. A urine in the car seems like it would be difficult to happen, but I could be wrong. Well... Ask any Uber driver or Lyft driver. That's true. Can you imagine one of those bottles spilling over in your car? No. Like a whole Gatorade bottle filled up with That's your- what I heard. You know, those guys are always cleaning up. That's Ugh. And speaking of cars, the 2018 Audi A8. So I saw this thing. I saw a lot of stuff about this new Audi. Okay. And it's, it's a German flagship car. I mean, it's really a big deal for Audi to come out with this new one. And, and it looks like it's, like any German engineered car, wildly over-engineered. Among the endless luxury features in this new sedan, one stands out, and I, and I looked at this and I said, all right, what's this? They call it the Traffic Jam Pilot. Audi says it's a semi-autonomous mode that actually will let the drivers screw around and watch TV instead of paying attention to the road. They say their new A8 is the first production car to have been developed specifically for highly automated driving, and that Traffic Jam Pilot can take full control of the car in traffic moving less than 37 miles an hour. So, as long as a physical barrier will separate the two directions, then it will also take uh, take control for you. And by fully take control, I mean it actually lets drivers screw around behind the wheel doing whatever they want. So this traffic jam pilot manages starting, accelerating, steering, and braking. The driver no longer needs to monitor the car Permanently, really, at that point, they can take their hands off the steering wheel, depending on the national laws, focus on different activities such as reading or chatting on the phone or watching the onboard TV. I don't know if it's hooked up to uh, like a, 
It must be a 4G deal or something. You've got to be able to get satellite, right? Or at least watch some YouTube videos. You would hope little so. little keyboard cap behind the wheel. Because it's worth noting that the driver is still going to have to grab the controls once the system reaches its limits, like a higher speed or, or certain uh, limits, I guess. So this does seem really dangerous to me. Just I'm thinking about traffic on 25 heading northbound, right? My yeah. neck of the woods, it's always... a parking lot basically and so you let traffic jam pilot take over for a few minutes while you're getting out of the most congested part of the traffic but then all of a sudden i mean your car is going to accelerate and you need to start going 55 miles an hour and if i'm in the middle of a youtube video and like my audi starts yelling at me take control take control <laughs> no man like i'm good because you might think it's part of the gangnam video that you're watching and they you think hey wow this is like auto tune the news well and what i'm more worried about is that people are going to get startled and so they're just going to stomp on the accelerator or something like that and who knows what can happen in that situation now, going off the press release, it's hard to say what this new Audi system will look like in practice. Tesla, for instance, they uh, used to let you run for minutes on end with no hands on the wheel, while Mercedes, they have a similar system, and they need near-constant um, intervention with their system. The actual rollout of this new A8's autonomous features, it's going to take some time. Starting in 2018, it's going to gradually be taking piloted driving functions, such as parking lot pilot, garage pilot, and traffic jam pilot into production. Boy, they, they like pilots. So the introduction of this Audi uh, traffic jam pilot means they need to have, each country needs to have its own areas that are defined that can allow this system to be in use. So, I mean, are they say, indicating that it would be okay in the road, okay in, like, highway situations, but not in the stop-and-go traffic of a street? Yeah, uh, that's all to be, term- to be determined okay. wherever they're driving it. They say it's the first system to really use laser scanners in addition to radar sensors, a front-facing camera, and ultrasonic sensors. And the laser sends out data to the central driver assistance controller in the car, which computes an image of the surroundings by merging that sensor data to make sure you don't crash into things. Because obviously that would be bad. And on top of the traffic jam pilot, the new A8 will also get Audi remote parking pilot. And they say remote garage pilot, which allows the owner to use their remote or their smartphone to activate a mode that autonomously steers the A8 into and out of parking spaces or a garage. The phone app even lets owners watch the car park itself. Via the A8's 360-degree cameras. This sounds like a godsend. I, I Can you imagine, like, self-valeting? Like, if well, I that's pulled what up, I was thinking. If I pulled up to my building and I just get out at the front door, walk in, and my car knows enough to park itself, and I don't have to worry about making the five-point turn in narrow confines to get into my parking spot, I love this. That's Good pretty, work, Audi. I know. That is really cool, isn't it? The Audi also has dynamic all-wheel steering, which actually adjusts the front-wheel steering ratio based on the vehicle speed, and it turns the rear wheels a little bit in or against the direction of the steering, depending on the speed range. So that will actually help the car feel more smooth and turn more smoothly. And then there's also this 10-inch touchscreen and a second one just above the shifter, which allows the driver to access their, you know, the air conditioning. And you can send texts that way, so you're really no reason to grab the phone. Mm-hmm. You can also adjust the other comfort-related mode on there. And then there's this optional relaxation seat, which is at the rear on the passenger side. And it lets the passengers warm and massage the soles of their feet. This is unnecessary. That's a little bit uh, on the over-engineering side, I think. On top of that, the rear passenger can use a remote control to adjust things like the ambient lighting, the seat massage settings, and their private telephone in the back. (laughs) They have their own private telephone in a sedan. So... 
this car was built for Uber drivers. Maybe. Basic, right? I yeah. mean, well, I would rather jump into the Uber that lets me use my private telephone and massages my feet than just like a Honda Civic. Yeah, because the rear passengers get a separate operating unit for the phone. Love it. Yeah. Uh, the new over-engineered German-made A8 will be available in Germany late this year. It will start at 90,000 euro. That's about $103,000 for the regular A8. It's $107,000 for the A8L. And Audi doesn't mention when we'll be able to see the car in the United States or how much it's really going to cost. But I guess you could fly over to Germany, pick one up, and then fly it back. I'm over here like doing the math in my head. Like, How many hours would I have to drive an Uber on luxury mode to be able to afford this Audi A8 for my personal use? For $100,000. Uh, it's only like, what, 40 hours of driving a week? <laughs> or more. Or more. Yeah. So, yeah, it, that's in the wishful thinking category. I'll keep dreaming for over us. here. All right, time for a break. By the way, someone who is, a, who, who is a fairly new listener to the podcast asked me on Twitter, what's the deal with these breaks? I said it's a perfect spot to put, like, paid spots if they ever happen, not that they've happened now, and I haven't seen any. I just checked my mailbox a little bit ago, and I still haven't seen any checks flowing into the mailbox. Because, really, we relate to every driving business in the world. I think any transportation, traffic, driving, car, gas, anything like that, any kind of business like that, would want to uh, give us some money and advertise here on our happy little podcast. And we'd be happy to put their money to use. But that just just hasn't happened yet. It's also a way, these breaks, to feature music from artists that you may never have heard. And it's also a nice separation between thoughts, like uh, if we were doing this really on-air on a radio situation, which might happen eventually one day, where one of the stations around town might want us to have uh, have us on uh, the air for a couple of hours on a weekend or something like that. Les Schwab tires. I'm looking at you. <laughs> Just leave the check blank. Exactly. Uh, maybe I should call some of my radio friends at KOA. Well, you know, Steve Kelly just retired from KNUS. He'll be back. We'll get. No, he's no, he's done. He's he's well. He's done because of health reasons. That's why Otherwise, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, and yeah, maybe we get a weekend show with some call-ins. I love it. Crickets, crickets. I love it. A- anyway, it'd be fun. Anyway, coming up, that dumb law that I don't think was ever a dumb law to begin with. That and much, much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. More of the Driving You Crazy podcast coming up. Well, first of all, we tell you everything you need to know, right? That's important. But we have a good time. And when you get up in the morning, it can be a struggle sometimes. You need that little extra push, motivation to get you out of bed. And, you know, I try to bring good attitude, good energy to the set with me. And hopefully that carries across the TV and in the airways and people feel that at home. Adam Hammond, only on Denver 7. The hardest part about getting up at two o'clock in the morning is the night before because, you know, you've got kids, you want to to be active with them. I want to put them to bed. I want to redo them. I want to be able to watch a movie with them, but it's really hard to because we have to wake up so early. So the hardest part about waking up early is going to bed early, but it's worth it because honestly, I love this morning show and I don't think I would ever want to be on another shift because I, I work with great people and, you know, giving you what you need to know to get out the door every morning, I think is important to me and it's important to, to my job and and what I do as as a meteorologist. Lisa Hidalgo, only on Denver 7.
Welcome back to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast, where if you buy three podcasts, you get the fourth one free. What a deal. Not true. Uh, they're all free because we have no paywall or anything like that yet. Nor that I don't think we ever will. Uh, believe me, I would love for you, the loyal listeners, to send us some checks or some money on Venmo. I have no idea how that works, but I hear people send money with it and now are picking up people's phones with the Venmo and then somehow transferring Venmo money to themselves while they're at a bar and somebody's drunk and whatever and they're getting scammed out of their Venmo money. Folks, don't lose your phone. That's the lesson here. If you lose your phone, people are going to do bad things with it, whether it's opening up your Facebook or just reselling the phone or opening up your Venmo account and transferring money into their own bank account, which seems like a really stupid thing to do because then police have your bank account number and they'll be able to track you down that way. You would think so. Why can't they do it with the bitcoins? Why did Denver police? This is a se- completely separate yeah. topic. Why did Denver police feel the need to call out Venmo? Like Venmo is not the problem. People getting their cell phones stolen is the problem. Yes, you're right. You're exactly right. Because it could happen with any of the banking apps, right? Exactly. Exactly. PayPal. They can't. Anyway. Wells Fargo. Chase. We can do an entire podcast about Denver police later. All right. If you follow me on Twitter at Joseph Denver Seven, or you follow Denver Seven Traffic, you might have seen us get into a little bit of an argument with Streets Blog Denver earlier this week over the proposal. Well, I guess not a proposal, a Facebook post from State Senator Ray Scott of Grand Junction, and the gist of that was basically he posted a Facebook article to his page that said we're going to propose a bicycle tax in Colorado similar to the one that's been approved in Oregon and that should take effect either later this year or early next year. That tax is really simple, $15 on any new adult bicycle purchase over $200. And they're going to use that money for roads, infrastructure, things of that nature. Especially when it comes to bikes, actually more bike lanes and that sort of stuff. Exactly. I mean, it's specifically targeted to help build out the biking infrastructure. And so I tweeted out, I'm sure Jason Luber is going to be stoked about this because Jason loves taxing people. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, uh, nothing more I like than a good tax. And the reply from Streets Blog was, why? Does he have some evidence showing the strain that 15-pound bicycles put on roads? Or does he think that drivers pay the full cost of roads already? So a caveat here, I don't have the time or the effort right now to go through the state budget line by line and figure out where all of the transportation funding goes to. I think it's fair to assume that most tax revenue is thrown into a big pot and some of that money is going to get diverted towards transportation. So it is fair to say that bicyclists are shouldering some of the burden for the roads because they pay sales tax at the grocery store when they're buying clothes, when they're buying computers, etc. And they most and many of them also own a vehicle. Exactly. So they're getting hit when they buy the car. But there are some people who are going bicycle only these days. And the the debate here basically is, why are we discouraging people from riding bikes by imposing this tax on them? I would argue several things. But first and foremost, we're not discouraging people from riding bikes by putting this tax on them. There's nobody out there that's buying a $200 bike that can't afford the $15 tax or that would be discouraged or off-put because they're paying this tax. Because most of these bikes are not just $200, though they are in the many hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. Right. And the ones who are using them as a genuinely cheap form of transportation that are going down to Goodwill to buy the bikes or things like that, those bikes wouldn't hit that threshold. Nor would they be taxed because they're so, uh, aftermarket, right? Exactly. Because wouldn't this just be on new bikes, not if I'm selling you a bike personally, you're not going to pay that tax. That's just it. There's no way to collect a tax on like a Craigslist sale or something like that. They probably would charge it at Goodwill because that is a retail outlet. But again, most of the bicycles sold at Goodwill are under $200. And if that's the threshold that we're going to set... 
you know, it's not going to go through. So personally, I don't feel bad saying this. I think the tax is both fair and reasonable. Several reasons. I personally, I think that that tax should be diverted in the state of Colorado for two purposes. It should be earmarked specifically for building out bike lanes in the cities and other places where bike lanes are necessary. I think it should be used to build loops around the city so you can easily get from Lakewood to Thornton to Aurora, things of that nature, in a way that's similar to the highway system. But I also think in this state particular... We have a very unique network of mountain bike trails that are being used more and more often specifically by people who are buying these $1,000, $1,500 bikes. And those trails aren't going to be able to put up with the strain that's been put on them for much longer. I mean, we see it with walkers. We see it with hikers. We see it with overuse on all of our trails. And so in this state particularly, there needs to be some of that funding set aside so that we can make sure those trails are still here for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Because as I recall, a lot of those trails that are being maintained are from private donations uh, going to some, and volunteers going out there and, and rehabbing a lot of these trails and, and trying to make them better and safer. Exactly. There's very little actual funding put into it. I mean, you just heard Ryan Zinke say he's donating $50, 50 million, not donating, that $50 million has been allocated to rebuild national parks. Well, A, a lot of that's not going to go to bike infrastructure, and B, there's a $1.9 billion backlog of national park rehabilitation that needs to be done. So if the state of Colorado can do something about it, I think that's really appropriate. I think when you look at cars versus bikes and you see the amount of people who are riding their bike more often, I think a lot of drivers would say, you know, we're paying this car tax every year, depending on which locality, and it can be several hundred dollars. We're also paying several hundred dollars in registration fees right when we buy it, and we're getting hit with the sales tax. Bicycles don't shoulder that burden. Bike riders don't shoulder that burden. And so I think it is appropriate if you're going to be riding a bicycle, and we're going to assume if you're buying a bicycle that you're going to use it. Well, yeah. You're going to ride it several miles at least per year if not hundreds of miles per year that yeah you're going to put some measure of strain on our roads on our dirt roads on our mountain bike trail system things of that nature and so i do think it's appropriate to make sure that we're recouping some of that money and putting it right back into those systems that are being used and 15 dollars isn't that much money I mean, Honestly. And I wonder how much overall would be collected, how many bikes are being sold on a yearly basis, and how much money are we actually talking about? Maybe $100,000 or less? We're, we're probably not talking about millions of dollars here, right? This is more of a cosmetic thing than anything else, I would say. I mean, like uh, to your point, how much of a panacea is $100,000 going to be? That's not even going to build one bike lane on Broadway. Exactly. It, I mean, it might it, help out some of the trails and... It'll give some of the volunteers a little bit of extra incentive to go out there and, and fix up some of the other trails. But otherwise, if you're, like you said, trying to put in a dedicated bike lane, that, that costs some money. Absolutely. Well, and I'm not, I don't think the $15 fee, I think Oregon's really is a purely cosmetic play, but I think in this state, you could play it off as a percentage. And I'm not willing to put a percentage out there right now because I just haven't crunched the numbers. But I would say an 8 to 10% tax on something like this wouldn't be out of bounds, especially if it's a one time thing. We're not talking about bicycle licenses that have to be renewed every year. We're talking about a one time fee at the point of purchase. Now, I heard that this guy, this, this state legislator, he actually took down his Facebook post because he was getting so many negative messages and getting so much backlash about this proposal, which surprises me that here in Colorado, we're, we're seeing a backlash on this $15 tax, when in Oregon, it seemed like they universally supported it. And it's like, no big deal. Let's do this. Well, I think there's two points to be made there. One, never underestimate how spineless our politicians can be. And two, you can't underestimate 
the mobility of the bicycle movement, right? I think bicyclists, more than many other populations, and especially drivers, are willing to be loud in their defense of their bicycles, and they're really desire to not pay. But more why than they in feel Oregon were they share. okay with paying fifteen dollars, and they're not okay with it here? Because it was their idea in Oregon. Republicans were very much against it in Oregon, and this is a Republican state legislature in Colorado who's pushing the idea now. So what if it was a Democrat pushing it? I I think you'd see a different sort of reaction, but I still think the bicycle lobby would come out against it because that's their position is that we're a healthy form of transportation, and you shouldn't be punishing people for trying to be more healthy by riding their bicycles. And we've had disagreements with street blogs Denver in the past, and, and they are militant when it comes to anti-car, pro-transit, pro-bike, pro-anything else except for cars. They will put up with cars because they know that they like to have their stuff delivered from Amazon when they click on it and whatever, and they want it out there in their, you know, they want those two-day delivery. However, it, it would be their wish that everything would go via rail, bus, carpool, van, whatever the case may be, and everybody's driving electric or riding bikes. I mean, I'm not even opposed to that necessarily. Like, I walk everywhere. We've talked about this several times. I'm the pedestrian advocate on this podcast. (laughs) I love alternate forms of transportation. And I think in this city center, specifically in Denver, I think you're going to get to a point where it's much more efficient to ditch the car and just have a bicycle if you live within the city. Well, yeah. But, and there's, so there's a second part of this that I think doesn't really get addressed very often that I think is very interesting, which is that there's very, there's not really a way for us to recoup revenue from bicyclists who break the law or who don't follow the rules of the road. Right. You think about the amount of money generated by local police departments, state patrol, things of that nature for drivers who violate the law. And it's very high, but there's not really any enforcement for bicycle riders who ride on the sidewalk when there's a dedicated bike lane right there. And that, we both have talked about, is more common than you think. You know, there's not really any way to recoup your money from a bicyclist who swerves into traffic and nearly causes an accident because they're riding irresponsibly. And I've never heard of anybody getting a bicycling while intoxicated ticket in their life, even though I've been in downtown Denver on a Saturday night, and I know how many people ride their bicycles while they're over the legal limit. Well, I think part of the issue is to be a driver, you have to be licensed. It's a privilege, not a right. It is also a privilege to own a vehicle where you have to have that registered and you have to pay money for that. So there is that registration with the state process that will then allow the state to fine you for those different infractions. When you're on a bike, anybody can grab a bike and get on it and start riding. There is no there's no law that says you can't just get on the bike. There's no uh, uh, license I have to buy. There's no registration I have to do if I want to, reg- you know, with the police so it doesn't get stolen, blah, blah, blah. But I don't, I mean, I can just get on this thing and go. That's it. I, I buy it, get on, go. That's it. I have a really unique perspective on this because I live off Spear Boulevard, right? And so the Cherry Creek Trail is right there. And anybody who's going up and down Spear on a bicycle, in my mind, get on Cherry Creek Trail. Like, it's right there, and it's built yep. for bicycles. You should be using that. And yet, every single day, as I walk down the street, I see, this is not a joke, at least a dozen bicycles every day that are using either the sidewalk by Sunken Gardens near Denver Health or the sidewalk on the opposite side of, side of Spirit Boulevard. And they're getting in pedestrians' way. And there are pedestrians who are having to duck out of the way of bicycles who are, feel as though they're entitled to those sidewalks. And that's just not the case. We built a lane for you. Use it. Yep. And, I, and I, 
I, I experienced it when I on one of my walks up to uh, the Denver Public Library. I had the same thing. I'm walking down the, and then all of a sudden, hey, on your left, and here comes a guy on a bike. And it's it's when you're when you're walking because it's like a horse rider. I mean, you you have that person has an advantage on the bike. Not that they're going to knock you down, but they could easily knock you down. Right. And, and they're coming at a pretty quick speed, and it, it just freaks you out a little bit. And that does happen. It has. I've I've heard of it happening in other cities. That we haven't really had a case of it in this city that's gotten high profile. But yeah, bicyclists run into pedestrians. You know, it happens. The other thing, I think, the bicycling while intoxicated thing, we should come back to because yeah. that's irresponsible and that's a hazard not just for the bicycle rider, but for pedestrians who are around it, for other bicycle riders on the road, and for drivers. Frankly, because if that bicycle rider is swerving in and out of his lane, and he forces a driver to get out of his lane and causes that head-on collision, the bicyclist isn't going to be the one who's found at fault. Nope. And, you know, it'd be interesting to get a camera downtown during the weekends, like you said, and then just start looking out for these folks and seeing where that if that turns into anything. Right. And it sounds like we're anti-bicycle when we talk like this, right? I, I like I, a bike. I like riding bikes. I think we both... Uh, I think we both appreciate the health benefits of it. I think we both appreciate that it's a cleaner form of transportation. And I think, realistically, I think it's good that there are more bicycles out there than cars, especially in downtown Denver. When I used to live downtown, I used to live right over here, uh, right there by 13th and Sherman, right a couple blocks down from the state capitol. Mm -hmm. And my little apartment, I had my little pickup truck, but I also had a bike because it was easier and cheaper for me when I was working at either, when this was at KOA Days, when I was working for Airwatch Traffic, uh, I would just ride my bike down there because it was right at 13th and uh, um, Lawrence was at KOA, the old building there. Okay. And it just took me a few minutes to ride my bike over there. And the same thing, I was over at 17th and something, uh, maybe Arapahoe, when I was doing the uh, Airwatch thing. And it was and they wanted, I don't know, 70 bucks a month for parking, which is, I thought was ridiculous. So it was easier for me just to ride my bike down there. It took me five minutes. It was, it was a piece of cake. Right. And so, it, I, I mean, I've done that in the past. And the fees that we're talking about are still substantially less than you would pay and it's for a one-time a fee not a yearly thing like it is with owning a vehicle exactly so you know i mean come on we're just asking everybody my proposal is just everybody needs to pay their fair share and if we're going to be asked to build infrastructure for bicycles on the back of taxpayers the majority of whom ride cars there needs to be something in that budget that says hey we understand that this is for bicycles so people who buy these bicycles are going to help foot the bill and here's how they're going to do it and that money wouldn't have to be then dedicated in some kind of legislation it only goes to bike related stuff absolutely but, you know, the, you know, we'll see where that goes and, and- to one more point i think we were both in favor of the transportation bill that lost in colorado this past yeah. year uh, point blank. I right. think we're both very disappointed that yes. that didn't pass because we would have liked to see, pay more tax to see better roads. Oh, yeah, most definitely because the infrastructure is starting to fall apart pretty badly. How do you feel about uh, hearing super loud exhaust from motorcycles? Hate it. Keeps me up at night. But most of the bikers I talk to say they like that loud exhaust sound. My favorite saying about all of this, Harley Davidson, the most efficient way to turn gasoline into noise. Right. <laughs> right. True. Yeah. Riders say their number one reason for why they rev the engine and like it so loud is so that drivers of cars can hear them coming and that they're more likely to see the biker and not run into them. They say loud pipes save lives. So they say that. Then I see him riding without a helmet. So it doesn't really make much sense. Right. Wear a helmet, folks. I mean, wear a helmet. So, yeah, you want to be seen and you want to do it for safety and you want everybody to hear you. But then you're riding around without a helmet. The bikers, especially Harley riders, also admit that they like that sound. They, they, they just like it. It makes them feel more macho, and it's part of that Harley experience. 
And if they tell you differently, they're not being honest with you. They might say an uh, upgraded exhaust system is actually going to help with the performance and, and the bike will run cooler than, a, than using the stock exhaust pipes. But in reality, it really is all about the exhaust note, which means what it sounds like. A well-tuned exhaust doesn't have to be super loud. It, it Can't safety be achieved without a, being a public nuisance? And I searched and searched, and I couldn't find any definitive research that shows that loud motorcycles help prevent crashes. Only anecdotal evidence from people who like to hear their motorcycles. Is that something you can even research scientifically, though? I mean, how would you do it? We can talk about that later, but it seems like it would be hard to prove that loud motorcycles help reduce the amount of motorcycle-involved crash. And I think that's part of it. And I understand that some people like that loud exhaust. I'm not a fan of it. I never have been a fan of it. It really bugs me when I hear one downtown when I'm coming into work at 3 o'clock in the morning. There's no way that that doesn't wake up people uh, as they're driving down Lincoln Street. I think that sound would get really annoying to anyone on a long trip, right? But maybe not. There is a Facebook page dedicated to the noise problem called I Hate Harley. They are not kind to say it mildly. Someone on there said, do not approach or attempt to reason with motorcycle riders. When possible, write down their license plate number and give it to police. But most police departments have real crimes to investigate, and and these complaints are more often ignored than actually done anything about. And I say this because I recently read this story about the residents in Golden. They've requested that the Golden Police Department expand their enforcement of illegal vehicle exhaust systems, specifically the vehicles that frequently drive right through downtown Golden, up Lookout Mountain, Highway 58 and 93, that whole area there. And they're complaining about the large number of visitors, particularly on weekends, which include the loud cars and also those loud motorcycles. They love driving through Golden. They like going up Clear Creek Canyon because it's a pretty drive. They like going up Lookout Mountain up to uh, Buffalo Bill's Grave. Because it's a pretty drive. Right. Neighbors tell us they're no longer able to enjoy the peace and serenity of their backyards or decks due to the sheer number of loud vehicles now driving in Golden at all hours of the day and night. Even while inside their inside their houses with the windows closed, the houses closer to the roadway still hear the reverberation of louder engines as they drive by. And on a busy Saturday, Lookout Mountain Road can have over a 1,000 vehicles on the road throughout the day. This is a single-lane switchback road. If you've never been there, that is right on the west side of Golden. It's fun to drive, but it is a lot of switchbacks. There's a lot of rev and stop, rev and stop, rev and stop. And even if 10% of those vehicles have illegal exhaust systems, you can imagine the noise and the aggravation the neighbors have. An illegal exhaust is defined by Colorado Revised Statutes 42-4-225 as a modification to the exhaust system of a motor vehicle in a manner which will amplify or increase the noise emitted by the motor of such vehicle above... That emitted by the muffler originally installed in the vehicle. In short, any muffler that emits noise louder than the stock muffler is considered illegal. And Golden Police look for EPA approval stamps, which are frequently seen on uh, on those uh, mufflers. Officers will base their enforcement on a two-tier system, they say. Number one, can they hear that your exhaust system is louder than a stock muffler? If they can, then number two, can they see that your exhaust system is modified? If the answer to both of the questions is yes, then they'll stop the vehicle and issue a citation to the driver. But that's a tough order, I would imagine. The fine for an illegal exhaust system starts at 200 bucks for the first offense and then increases by $100 for each subsequent offense to a maximum fine of $400. 
And Golden officers are asking people who visit the town to be respectful of the residents who live there. And as for those who have modified their exhaust systems on their vehicles to drive in a quiet manner, I don't know how they can do that because they just can't with their right. their, their vehicles going doing doing that thing. Anyway, they they suggest, for instance, on Lookout Mountain, it can be easily done by driving down the mountain rather than up the mountain, where your engine noise would be a lot louder when you're driving up rather than driving down. I mean. All that's fair, but when you choose to live there, you kind of have to know what you're signing up for. If you didn't before, you know now. But there are classic towns like Morrison, Golden, uh, up along Highway 93. You get a lot of motorcyclists. I see a lot of them on my road because it's uh, a nice little windy road that will take you over to uh, Daniels Park and then down over to Highway 85. And so I, I see and hear a lot of motorcyclists. Now, I don't probably see as many as there are in Golden or Morrison or, or some of the west side areas just because I'm not right there in the foothills. But it is, it bugs me. It annoys me. And, and it, it, that noise, their, their right to have the noise is, is infringing on my right to have peace and quiet. Absolutely. I mean, that's fair. But when we were, when we visited towns like this, you do see a lot of motorcycles. But at the same time, I think you deal with the motorcycle exhaust noise to be able to live in a town like Morrison or Golden or one of those. You know, you're paying for the beauty anyway. If somebody disrupts it during the daytime hours, you know, that that sucks. But at the same time, you get to live in Golden. And it's hard for the city to say, we don't want the bikers here because... The bikers bring in a lot of money, and yeah. they go to those restaurants, and they go to the bars, and they spend a, a good amount of money in those places. They cater directly to the bikers in right. some instances, especially in a town. Uh, Evergreen is my favorite example. You yes. go down the main strip, there's biker, there's a biker bar right there, and it's the most popular restaurant, just anecdotally, that I've seen there. The big story. The big story of the day here, Joseph. There are some bizarre laws that are reportedly still on the books in cities and countries around the world. Now, I have personally not verified that these, air quotes, laws are still valid, except for one at the end. Maybe some have been changed, but they could have been a law at one point or another in history, or not at all, or somebody just made it up. Number one, in Alabama, you aren't supposed to be allowed to drive with a blindfold on. Well, that's good. I mean, that should be not allowed anywhere, right? I imagine, except maybe at the Demolition Derby. Uh, It seems basic common sense that you shouldn't obscure your own sight while you're driving a vehicle. But apparently somewhere along the line, the notation became a bit blurry for someone in Alabama and the state found it necessary to outlaw blindfolded driving. There was a scene in the original Fast and the Furious where I think the guy looks directly into his passenger and they're staring at each other. And it's like this competition to see how long he can look directly at his passenger without taking his hand off the wheel or crashing the car. We used to do that when I was a teenager. Don't let teenagers drive. You could be fined for driving topless in Thailand. Good. According to Thai law, it's never okay to take your top off while you're on their roads, although it might seem a lot like uh, all the other terrible behavior is permitted in Thailand, a lot of other ugliness, but apparently, despite the country's often blistering heat, anyone caught operating a car, bike, or tuk-tuk while topless will be fined. Men and women. Yeah, I suppose so. Okay. Uh, you must check for children hiding under your car before you start the car in Denmark. Honestly, how, how many people are doing this? My guess, none. Every time. Now, they say the law is to prevent unnecessary child deaths and prevent anyone that may be working underneath a vehicle from getting run over. Number four, if you're the kind of car owner that cares little for getting your car washed, then thank your lucky stars you don't live in Russia. You can be ticketed for having a dirty car in Russia. Moscow police have the power to dish out fines for any motorist with a car that they determine is too dirty, and it's entirely up to the officer to decide what counts as too dirty. I Look... 
I know there are laws pretty universally about how dirty your license plate can can get. You have to ha- keep it from being ob- obstructed, right? Right. So at least you can keep that clean. But I think also in Russia, you can be pulled over and jailed for just about anything in the world. That's but, true. Yeah. That's why they have so many dash cams. That's a, that's a fact, actually. You can't drive on Monday in Manila if your registration ends in one or two. Now, we've talked about a bit uh, about the very restrictive driving laws in Manila just as a way to help reduce the number of vehicles in the city. And they have this strict restriction on which cars are allowed in certain areas of the city on certain days. And it happens that any car with the number plate with the number on your license plate ending in one or two is banned on on Mondays. Other numbers are banned on different days of the week. There are hefty penalties, apparently, for running out of gas on the German Autobahn. Despite the lack of the speed limits, the German and famous Autobahn still comes with strict rules, including if you run out of fuel on one of these high-speed roads, you'll face a fine and could even get a driving ban if you get more serious offenses while driving on that road. Interesting. San Francisco bans the use of used underwear to buff or dry a vehicle. That's not fair. That doesn't sound right. I guess the new underwear is just fine, maybe. Okay. I think this is more of a law for commercial businesses where they might use used undies as a rag to dry cars. But for private car owners keen on giving their car a scrub, I think you should feel free to use as many pairs of stain-free tighty-whities as you like. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Shirts I used to use as rags. Yeah. There's plenty of clothing I articles. have a lot of the sham wows. I bought some of those. Well those great. Every car in Luxembourg must have a windshield wiper. Even if it doesn't have a windshield, I guess it's more common for vintage car owners than modern cars, I guess. The odd part of this law to me is that it's perfectly legal to drive without glass, uh, a glass windshield to protect your, the driver from the wind and other debris from the road. But if you don't have the wipers, you'll be awarded with a fine. That sounds smart. That's bizarre. Uh, drivers must have their headlights on at all times when the car is running in Scandinavia, even when the sun is out. While handy for increasing safety during their notoriously foggy weather and short days, the law, I think, is largely designed for the periods in the winter when there's basically no daylight for weeks on end because they're so close to the Arctic Circle. I mean, that's not a terrible idea, though. The weather can change really quickly. A lot of people like to push the limits of how long they can wait before turning their headlights on. You may as well just make it mandatory all time and then install the sort of graduated lights that aren't quite as bright during the daytime because they don't need to be, but you take the you know, the onus off the car owner. And I saved the best one for last, Joseph, the best one. This crazy law is said to be, it is illegal to drive a black car in Denver on Sundays. When I, when I first read this, I was thinking there is no way this could be an actual law. There's just no way that anyone would even conceive of this idea and then move on to write legislation and then try to convince a majority of either state legislators or city officials to pass such a law. So being the diligent journalist I am, I did some investigating. I first scoured the Internet, and I found a lot of references to this law, including one story from Denver 7 that quotes it. Seriously, go Google this right now. Pause the podcast. Go Google driving a black car on Sundays in Denver. You will find no fewer than 25 websites that quote that exact law as being real and on the books. So I decided to start with my friends over at the Denver Public Works. When I called, they told me verifying any traffic law And driving law would be under the purview of the city attorney's office and to call them. So I did. So I talked to this uh, person over there with the city uh, attorney's office who told me that she has no knowledge of this law, nor could she find any record of it ever being on the books. I I imagine they probably have a record of those sort of things. And she said, though, during her research, she found a reference online, because I think she did also a Google search, that might indicate this could be a state law. So she told me to call CDOT. So I did. 
So I checked with the CDOT history department, and CDOT has a historian. And that person looked and looked and looked. It told me they couldn't find anything specifically about this supposed law. But if it existed, they think it might be linked to the old state blue laws. Lots of states, you know, the, the incorporated these, these blue laws in the late uh, 19th century, 20th century, which banned or restricted commercial and immoral behavior on Sundays. Like the main blue law that still remains here in Colorado is the one you can't have a car dealership open on the first day of the week, commonly called Sunday. So there's no vehicle sales on Sunday here in Colorado, and it's wildly popular with the auto dealers, and they don't want it changed. The, in Colorado, no dealer has saw, sold an automobile on Sunday since 1952. Is that real? Yeah, the dealers claim that the prices of the vehicles would actually have to go up by 10 to 15% if they opened on Sundays. And the Sunday Prohibition car sales is not unique to, to Colorado. 16 other states have a similar law. And there have been several tries by our state legislature in the past, even this past year, to repeal that law. But every time it gets defeated in committee. They, don't want, they, they want it to stay. That's fat. That's fascinating all by itself, but go on. So in my research, I found that many other blue laws, often called morals laws, in the early uh, years, they were commonplace. So in the 1908 Revised Statutes of Colorado that I read, I discovered that barbering on Sundays was a misdemeanor. The law stated that it shall be a misdemeanor for any person to carry on the business of barbering on Sunday in any city on the first or second class, I don't know what a first or second class city is, but probably the bigger cities, right? So anyone found guilty of violating this act shall be fined not less than $25, nor more than $50, or imprisoned in the county jail for not less than 15 nor more than 30 days or both in the discretion of the court. That's a lot of money back in 1908. I mean, we're talking a bunch of money, and... A couple weeks in, in jail for, for getting a haircut? That seems a little stern. But, I mean, most barbers just have always been closed on Sunday anyway, though, correct? I mean, I've never been able to get a haircut on Sunday my entire life, and I've gotten a lot of All haircuts. All salons and places are open on Sundays. Uh, I, are they? Great Clips is. <laughs> well, the CDOT historian I suggested that I contact the librarian at the Denver Public Library's Western History Collection, so I did. And when I called, James Rogers told me that they don't have a research team to go through the old Colorado Revised Statute books or the Denver Municipal Code books that they have. But he said that I'm more than welcome to come take a look for myself. But in the meantime, I should go check with the librarians at the Colorado State Supreme Court Law Library. So I did that, too. And they told me to come on in and see what I can find. So I started with the general statutes for the state of Colorado dated in 1883. I knew it was probably a bit early for widespread automobile ownership, but I wanted to be really sure with my research. So all the law books I looked through were the originals. Most were in pretty good shape, with others had some duplicate pages. They were pieced together in a mishmash of years. Some were, like, from the 1940s up to the 1990s. Anyway, after searching, I found no such Colorado, crazy Colorado law. Then I made my way across Broadway and spent a lot of time over the Denver Public Library looking through many of the original Denver Municipal Traffic Code books from the 1930s on to now. And the closest I came to finding the suspected... And the closest I came to finding the supposed no black car driving on Sunday law was the law in Section 32 in the 1935 Denver Municipal Traffic Code that says parking of vehicles is prohibited entirely Sundays and legal holidays included in the following described areas and upon the following streets, blah, blah, blah. There was a bunch of streets where you weren't supposed to park on Sundays. So maybe that's where, but no, you could still drive on Sundays. You just couldn't park your black car or any colored car on Sundays. Again, I didn't find that specific law, though. 
Then I contacted the guy who knows more about Colorado history than anyone else. They call him Dr. Colorado, Tom Noel. He told me, quote, alas, I cannot help. Sounds like an urban legend to me, but I could be wrong, unquote. I doubt it. This guy at... at, You don't get a name like Dr. Colorado for no reason, right? This guy has reference in his head of every aspect of Colorado history, Denver history, he was telling stories about how you might look on the second story of, like, at the um, Tattered Cover bookstore downtown. You go in through these just plain doors when you're going into the bookstore. But if you look up to the second level, they have this ornate, what it looks like, ornate double doors. Now they have a gate in front of it so, you, so people from the inside wouldn't come out. But that's because there was a elevated platform where all the late, all, everybody, all the customers would actually go. It, that platform has since come down, but all the ladies and everybody would enter the books. It was the Denver Dry Goods building at that point. They would enter that way, and all the deliveries would be delivered on that lower level. And that's why it looked that way. Well, I mean, he has these references off the top of his head. So running out of leads, I went back to the original source of the information. I found one of the roots of the supposed law in a story by former Denver Post columnist Bill Husted from October 2000. I actually sent him a Facebook message, but I... Haven't heard back from him. And this is like several weeks ago. It was titled Institute in Search of Those Dumb and Dumber Laws. It was a story about how Colorado's Independence Institute was holding a contest. What they were asking for is the general public to submit all the dumb laws that they know of in Colorado. And one of the places that Mr. Husted used to find some of the what he thought were the Colorado's dumb laws was this website called dumblaws.com. There I found that original reference to the supposed Denver law that you may not drive a black car on Sunday. Now, the problem is the entry doesn't include a citation to where or when that law ever existed. Now, the website also mentions several uh, several other dumb Colorado laws, including another from Denver where it's supposed to be illegal to mistreat rats. Again, no citation, and I didn't see any reference to that law in my research either, and I would think that'd be a little bit weird. Well, that's why he's a columnist and not a journalist, right? Yes. There are some strange laws on that website that also do include citations, but like the law from Fountain, okay? Fountain, Colorado. It says that it's illegal to have weeds in your yard. That's what they cite right there. It's illegal to have weeds in your yard. Now, when I looked at the actual wording of the law from the Fountain Municipal Code, it seems they're making a bit of a leap here. The law actually states that grass or weeds on a person's property can't be taller than nine inches in height. It doesn't say you can't have weeds in your yard. It just says they can't be a certain height. And on that same dumb laws website, they list what they call an odd law from Westminster that says, don't get lost between 9 p.m. and 4 a.m. or allow somebody else to get lost while operating your car because it's against the law. Well, again, it's not quite accurate because they're making a long leap off the law listed under Westminster's no cruising ordinance saying, it shall be unlawful for any person to operate a motor vehicle or as owner of motor vehicle to permit its operation past a traffic control point three times in the same direction, within any three-hour period between the hours of 9 p.m. and 4 a.m. So that's how these stories get spread. So if you're tra- passing this this place three times, you're lost, and you let somebody use your vehicle between those hours. So that's how they can reword this quote-unquote dumb law. So I found the administrator of dumblaws.com. His name is Andy Powell. I tried to reach out to him with several emails, left phone messages for him, hoping that he could provide that crucial missing link to the citation for the no black cars in Denver on Sunday law. He never replied to any of my emails, never called me back. 
And he does have a disclaimer on his website saying, we have done our best to maintain the accuracy of this database. However, we are not lawyers. We do not have the time nor resources to explore the topic as thoroughly as we would like. I make no no representation expressed or implied regarding the accuracy of the material posted on this website. It is for entertainment only, and you should do your own research before using this information for any purpose. He could really shorten that to... This website may not contain facts. Don't believe it. Yet, because of that Bill Houston article, <laughs> he, he basically gave it fact status, and that's why it's going all around the world. Well, I've done my own research, and I'm comfortable making this journalistic decision. Based on my many, 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 many hours of research, I confidently say the claim that a law that you can't drive a black car in Denver, Colorado on Sunday isn't nor has ever been an official law in Denver, Colorado. Right there I said it. If you have other information that could lead me to change my findings, please reach out to me at Denver7Traffic, send me emails, whatever, so we can set the record straight. But until then, feel free to enjoy a drive around Denver in your black or any other colored vehicle of your choosing on this or any other upcoming Sunday. There you have it. There you have it. And if you want to see some of the pictures that I took of the old law books on the uh, or, or the written version of the story that is now available, it you can read it on the DenverChannel.com. Just go onto the uh, top of the page, click on all sections, uh, and then you go to the traffic section there. And driving you crazy, you'll see it. You'll see the story in all its glory with some of the pictures that I took of these different books. Well and- done, man. Well done. I mean, and that's that's the sort of fact check that we need. Yeah, for a story like that, it was it was actually fun. I enjoyed going out there and doing that research and going to the libraries and and feeling these books. These are some of the books that are they're originals. I mean, from the eighteen hundreds. We're talking books that are well over a hundred years old. And I and I'm leafing through these, and it, it was remarkable. I'm, one, I'm surprised they're not digitized, and and two, it was nice to see at least they still existed. But reading through those and and seeing what it was like in some of the old. Um, some of the old laws and some of the old history of the state, it was, it was pretty interesting to see. You know, you can actually get fined a big deal for uh, throwing rocks at a train. Well, good. There was also another Sunday law that I, I didn't put in the story. You can't disturb the peace on Sundays. That's cool. I do all my peace disturbing on Wednesdays. So Well, and apparently that was okay. Fantastic. You can do it every other day of the week, raise hell, but not on Sunday. No, sir. Only in Colorado, baby. But now I need another research project, Joseph, so I can walk to the library and back because I enjoyed it. It was nice to get out of the station for a little bit every day. It was really nice. And that Colorado, uh, the law library over at the Supreme Court building, that building is gorgeous. Yep. I'm not kidding. Holy smokes. Yeah, it's a treasure. I completely agree with that. That was amazing. Well, that's all I got for now, Joseph. I think think that's a pretty good podcast. We might have broken the one-hour mark. I've been waiting for this day. Really? We're close. Wow. That is. That's a, this is a big program right here. This yeah. might be the Emmy winner. Worth it. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, thanks again. If you do have any questions, comments, concerns, anything like that, you can always send us a Twitter message, email, whatever the case may be. You can always find us there. DenverChannel.com. You'll find our links. You're at uh, Den- Joseph, Joseph Denver 7. Joseph Denver 7. I'm at Denver 7 Traffic on Twitter. You can always get us with that. Find our emails. Very responsive. Yes. But not maybe, maybe to a fault because there's plenty of these messages that I should not be responding to, but we're very responsive. Exactly. So anyway, thanks again for listening. Thanks again for being a part of the podcast and uh, and putting up with us as well. And as always, happy motoring. That's a- <laughs> oh, you said it. Nice. We're out. <laughs>